Welcome to the American Association of Critical Care Nurses Leadership Podcast, exploring issues related to leadership and nursing through inspiring conversations. Today's episode is sponsored by AACN's Value Program, offering group discounts to nursing teams of 10 or more on AACN membership, certification, or conference attendance, with information available at aacn.org forward slash value. Now here's your host, AACN's Chief Clinical Officer, Connie Barden. Hi, this is Connie Barden. I am so excited today to get to talk with my colleague here at AACN, Dr. Meredith Padilla. Meredith is a clinical practice specialist here at AACN. Uh, she'll tell us a little bit about that journey. I think she's been here about a year in that role. But Meredith, thank you so much for coming out time to talk with us. I can't wait to get going. Welcome. You're welcome, Connie. Thank you for having me here. I'm truly excited to actually share my nursing journey. That's exactly what we want to hear about. <laughs> and the topic that we're going to focus on is your experience, I would say, in being an internationally educated nurse. And to get us started, let me just ask you, what would you like to share with us about your journey from becoming a nurse to uh, landing here and working at AACN? So in 2004, I completed my bachelor's degree in nursing in the Philippines. And at that same time, I was actually a practicing physician. A year after I came here to the United States and started my nursing career as a new grad in the ICU. Actually, at that time, there was a bill that was passed releasing 50,000 visas for nurses and therapists. And I was just one of those lucky ones who got the visa in less than six months. It usually takes about five to seven years, you know, getting that visa. Um, let me move on to other things that happened to my nursing career. So after about maybe 11 years, I actually got certified for critical care and other cardiac subspecialties like cardiac medicine and cardiac surgery through the American Association of Critical Care Nurses. I finished my master's degree in nursing and then graduated from my uh, PhD in nursing, focusing my research on delirium, uh, delirium education in critical care, in which you might want to look it up. Um, if you go on Google, you can Google my name, my last name, P-A-D-I-L-L-A and delirium. And usually it's the first one that comes up. You go, fabulous, <laughs> great. And then career-wise to date, I have held a number of nurse leader positions, such as being a clinical nurse educator or a nursing professional development specialist, a clinical nurse manager for professional education, and now currently as a clinical practice specialist here at AACN. I guess that's about it. I mean, that's the gist of my whole nursing career. That's about it. Well, you generated about 10 questions that I would love to delve in with you. So let me just, just think about where we can start. So, so if you don't mind, let's go back to, so 2004, you got your BSN in the Philippines, but you mentioned sort of in passing, oh yeah, I was a physician in the Philippines. So you actually practice as a physician in the Philippines before this major change. Tell us a little bit about how does one make a decision to do that? Um, in the middle of a career, a major career called being a doctor in the Philippines? It was actually a major career change 
or maybe maybe I should say a career decision. Um, the only thing that really matters, I guess, is family. The reason why I had to go back to nursing is my husband is here in the United States and we want to move to the United States to raise our family here. And that is not an uncommon reason to come to the United States from an internationally educated nurse or any immigrant worker. And so what's so funny, Connie, is when I went back to nursing school, I went back for a special nursing education because all of my, all of my classmates are all physicians in all different specialties. There were cardiac surgeons, there were nephrologists, there were ob and it was really nice to go back to school and see your colleagues. You know, I mean, I don't know those physicians that I, they were my classmates. I don't even, I, it's the first time I've seen them or I met them. So it was just nice to be out being a physician and going back to school on a different kind of, you know, a perspective or a career. I just enjoyed that school the most, I guess. <laughs> so you're saying you enjoyed nursing school the most is Wow, that's very yes. fascinating. It, you know, it, it, I did. I want to make a comment here because, you know, there's a lot of talk nowadays with nurses about my identity as a nurse. And, and what you're making me think about is the empathy that it generates in me listening to your story about. So you started with an identity as a physician and based on your values, the things that were important to you in life you actually made a professional identity change and chose to become a nurse in order to come here and raise your family in the United States. That is amazing. And um, I think the reason I want to point this out is those of us who've not had to go on a journey like this maybe can learn from this and pause and get to know our internationally educated nurses more because many of them likely have a story that could be not the same, but similar in terms of major adjustments that needed to be made to come to this country. Wow, thanks for sharing that, Meredith. It's amazing. So, you know, there are lots of internationally educated nurses here in the US, thank goodness. Um, what do you see as the impact of these nurses specifically on units that you've worked in or nurses that you've known in healthcare in general? I guess one of the impacts of, um, I should just say IENs, just for the sake of, you know, getting that, you know, shorter, right. Twister, right. So one is, I, I guess it's not only in just a certain nursing unit, the impact is on the whole, um, maybe it's even globally, nurses have, you know, IENs have actually helped address the nursing shortage. That's one. And then the other one, they also bring this cultural diversity, not only to their nursing work workforce, but also to their community. I think that's really one great thing where, you know, I, I guess I could say maybe had caused some increase in awareness of cultural values that they bring or cultural beliefs, you know. And the other one is, I think those nurses, those international educated nurses have also been, you know, part of 
uh, in the developing or maybe improving an educational program for IENs. Maybe there's a hospital. I mean, I've been in a hospital where there was a program for IENs and we actually top internationally educated nurses to help us actually build that program or improve on it, ask their feedback and everything. Beautiful. And lastly, I have witnessed um, in my uh, career here as a nurse that I have noticed that IENs have stayed longer in their jobs. Um, I'm not sure if it's happening everywhere, but that's what I have noticed. And thus, I think it brings and helps maintain stability in those in the nursing workforce. At the same time, it's an economical, it, there's economic benefits on it. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. You know, a lot of my practice prior to coming to work here at ASCN was in Miami. We have lots of internationally uh, educated nurses there, and it was a joy to work with them and get to know them and, and hear some of their journeys as well. Obviously, this isn't easy. What can you tell us about some of the challenges for nurses who were educated in other countries and then want to come and, and practice in the United States? So what kinds of things did you deal with or some of your friends and colleagues have dealt with? The challenges that I have encountered can be summarized into three C's. I call it three C's because the first C stands for communication. The other one is culture and the other one is care systems. So let me expound a little bit more about communication. Um, although most, I guess all IENs need to pass their English proficiency exam before they are able to get a job outside of their country, um, English is still our second language. I came from the Philippines. English was the medium of instruction in all universities or schools. But however, still, when I came here, I had um, communication barriers. So what are those communication barriers? For example, when somebody talks really fast, I cannot understand it. You know, my brain is trying to catch up with what that person is talking and maybe my brain is also translating it into my language. I, I don't know what's happening, but I can't really get it. So what I do is I would tell them, I'm so sorry, please speak slowly. Or can you repeat it for me, please? Because I did not understand it, you know? And that's what I always tell also the nurses that I work with that are IENs that, you know, just it's okay to say that you can't understand it. Please don't speak fast. Or maybe just, you know, the accent, the pronunciation, or just maybe jargons or slang words that we're not familiar with. And the other one is culture. Of course, we came from different cultures. I mean, America is a mixture of different cultures. Although the Philippines was under the American for 48 years, so we are familiar with American culture, but still there are how many states here, different cultures in every state, you know, or different cultures from other countries who come here. So that's one thing. And what I did for myself is to actually learn about cultures, learn about different cultures that I might have encountered in the bedside or in the workplace, you know, or even just outside of work. Just trying to understand how can I actually be able to understand them better too. And then the last one is care systems. I'm referring to the healthcare system. 
So I would like to actually break down the care systems into four. One is clients. This is, this is our patient population. Um, the role of the patient, the patient and families may differ from my country and here. You know, especially when delivering healthcare, families in our country help with all the basic necessities, healthcare necessities of the patient. It's different here. So that's one, or maybe healthcare decision-making. A topic that when I left the Philippines that was not really a common topic is palliative care or end of life. So when I came here, it was a challenge for me. I had to learn. I, I had to learn to adapt to it and understand it that this is part of the healthcare system here. Let me ask you, Meredith, I'm intrigued by that. So the, those conversations are less frequent, you would say, in the Philippines, yes. end of life type things. Very interesting. Yeah. Huh. Okay, I don't want to interrupt your train, but I was, I was uh, intrigued by that. Go ahead. It's okay. And the next one is uh, accessible medications and treatments. Definitely, there are differences in medication, okay? There are medications in my country that we have that are not approved by FDA here. Or it could be brand names. That's why when you meet an internationally educated nurse, they talk generic names. They don't talk about brand names because that's, that's how we're used to. We just talk about uh, generic names. And um, then the other one is treatment. Of course, this is an advanced country. So treatment is more advanced here. So another thing are procedures, um, even just diseases, you know, it, whatever diseases that I have read in books, I see it here. So actually, I was amazed because I read it in medical school. I'm so amazed. Even the PA catheter, first time I've used it, I was amazed and I was excited to actually be able to transduce pressures in the PA catheter. Yeah, yeah. It's one thing to learn it in a book. It's another thing you finally got to experience it. Yeah. And so um, the other um, aspect of care system that is different is the RN roles and responsibilities, even the physician roles and responsibilities. You know, there's a lot of autonomy in nursing here, unlike in my country of origin. And um, there is a nursing scope of practice, nursing standards, you know, policies and procedures. And those are challenging for new IENs to learn everything all at once and be able to actually collaborate with also the physician who also seems to have a different role compared to our, my country of origin, you know. And the last one is equipment and the like. So we talk about, you know, all related to machines, equipment, healthcare information system, technology, or just even just the simple automated med medication dispensing system. You know, those are the things that I think I know. Um, it's a lot, but I think it's, it's really nice to be able to share um, all those challenges that I've had. And I, I guess it's a common challenge for any IEN. I think absolutely. And what a beautiful organized uh, way of thinking through the many challenges uh, that many of us never even probably have considered. And when you're telling us about your journey, Meredith, you talked about a number of leadership roles that you've had. 
and a lot of the things you just referred to are are clinically based. Um, how has your experience affected your work as a nurse leader? Is there anything you want to share with us about that and the various had a lot of educational leader roles and leaders of groups and so forth. Anything in terms of your leadership journey? Yeah, I think the first thing that comes to my mind is since I've been on both sides, I've been in IEN and now, you know, I I had it, I am in a leadership role. The important thing for me is how can I help make these nurses become successful members of our team? based on my experiences and what do I need to adopt based on my experiences? What can I improve on or change to be able to provide that support to IENs as maybe a nurse educator in that role? So um, I was thinking more about the only way actually to be able to address all these challenges that I've been talking about is maintaining a healthy working environment. I think we, especially for IENs, because we need to be cognizant of their needs. Um, we shouldn't be just thinking about educational needs, but there's an aspect of emotional, moral, maybe social, cultural, religious and you know there's a lot of other aspects when we say we look at patients in a holistic care we provide them holistic care I think we should also provide that holistic approach to nurses not only IENs but to nurses in general considering every aspect of what they're dealing with and another thing is I would want to actually add is the feeling of inclusivity or inclusion is very important to help them, you know, to help IENs to do their best in their jobs and be really a successful part of the team. I think meaningful recognitions, just small meaningful recognitions could go a long, long, long way. In my experience, that has actually, you know, helped me a lot. Yeah, great advice. Great advice. And I can see you've really been very mindful in your approach about this as a leader. Um, you've talked about not only language differences, just cultural norms and expectations, just huge, depending on what country one comes from. Um, I guess it's an advantage. You said the primary educational language in the Philippines was English, but we also work with a lot of nurses who come from other countries where the primary educational language is not English. And imagine being totally new here, trying to learn English as well as apply that in the in the medical field. Any advice, if, if you got to give advice to um, any IENs coming in, um, having anxiety or just wondering, should I do this? What how how do I get started? I'm so anxious about this whole thing. Any advice you would give to people around that? Uh, pursuing a career advancement, either by, you know, getting certified or getting an advanced degree in nursing are dreams that should be entertained. I guess being an IEN, there shouldn't be no hindrance to a dream that you want to pursue. Absolutely. Not, yeah, not because you're an IEN, you know, you, you can't do, do it, okay? I also believe in the gut feeling. If you feel that it is right for you to pursue that dream, 
it is the right timing because there's always the right timing as well. Just go for it. You know, uh, there are a lot of barriers and, you know, one barrier could be financial. And with financial, you know, there's always a solution to financial barriers. Your hospital or your organization might be offering tuition reimbursement. When I went back for my master's, actually, I did not pay anything because my hospital offered tuition reimbursement. And then my school also offered tuition reimbursement and I applied for FAPSA. So I didn't have student loans for that one. Even for my doctorate, I paid some of them, but my organization and my school also have those, you know, scholarship grants. And so I don't think financial wise is a barrier. Like the other thing that I just want to point out is, you know, if you feel you're ready, don't just be ready. Talk to your family. Maybe you have kids, you have a husband, talk to them because this is a big change in your, you know, not only in the family life, in your career, because it's going to be busy, you know, and I don't want to sugarcoat, you know, moving forward in these advanced degrees because it's a lot of work. Yes. Find a mentor. I think a mentor can really help you decide whether you want, you know, this is the right time for you, or is this the right advanced degree that you should get, you know, they, they would know better. I remember it when I first started taking my master's. Actually, I went to the wrong master's program because I was new here. I was only, I guess, one year here when I started uh, my master's. I was looking for an acute care nurse practitioner program for critical care. My program at that time was um an MSN in family nurse practitioner. They were both different. So I didn't even realize that. That's why I had to move on and do a nurse educator role. You know, what I can say, if I can do it, you can do it too. <laughs> it is just a matter of timing, readiness, and a lot of sacrifices, but you'll get there. And, you know, it's so funny, the example that you gave, that's a confusing thing for people who were born and raised in this country, sort of that specific example about the difference between an ACNP program and a family nurse practitioner program. Everyone is confused by that. So imagine coming from another country, another language, another culture, trying to sort through all of that. Never even thought of it. That's fascinating. I'm going to make a a statement that might be a little provocative and and you can tell me if I'm like way off base or whatever, um, or if there's anything you want to share about it. But, you know, it's a lot of division in this country right now. Um, and, and probably always there's, there's prejudice, there's discrimination. A lot of times we struggle with people who are other, whatever that means. And I would imagine that that brings, um, some prejudice and discrimination to nurses who are educated internationally. What you are teaching me is that this is something we should really be cognizant of. So I guess my, I just would say, am I off base here? Or do you think that's something that people should really consider? Is that something that nurses deal with a fair amount, feeling discriminated against when you enter here, even in nursing after coming from another country? So, um, I guess I've read a lot of research studies out there, not only in the United States, but, you know, for other host countries, 
like UK, United Kingdom, or Europe, or New Zealand, or even China, or any other country, there is actually some form of, I should say, uncomfortable encounters. And um, it's there are a lot of publications out there. And as for me, I just want to say too, I had some uncomfortable or maybe awkward encounters of some sort in my workplace. Yeah. And so what I guess I would say, what can non-internationally educated nurses do to sort of offset that? How can we we help? Is it just a, a sensitivity thing? Is is that the, or be on the alert for situations like that, swoop in to rescue, like what's the advice around that for those of us who want to help? I guess maybe, this is just my thought, Connie, yeah. okay? Maybe the non-internationally, ed- the non-internationally educated nurse actually maybe doesn't, maybe doesn't realize it that way. Yeah. Because this is the first time, I mean, if this is the first time they've worked with a colleague that's IEN, then or maybe even the patient, maybe the patient doesn't really know that what maybe he was doing or she was doing actually was perceived by that IEN as, you know, an awkward or uncomfortable situation. Yeah. I think it's just all about learning each other's culture because I, for one, I came from the Philippines and Filipinos are very sensitive. So, Maybe it could be the sensitivity that, you know, actually was a um, pre, that's the prelude, the sensitivity actually created that uncomfortable encounter because, yeah. So I think it's just, I guess it's all about, you know, learning each other's cultures. Yeah. Being open and, and finding appropriate ways to ask questions and learn more. That's beautiful. Thank you. Um, You know what I'm getting from this, Meredith, is an internationally educated nurse really has to work to be sure and take care of themselves. Um, This is a journey, uh, literal and also, you know, figuratively in life that many people don't have to deal with. What are some of your best tips uh, to other IENs about how to best take care of yourself? Anything that you do or have done in particular or anything you would advise others on? Yeah, um, first things first, always take care of yourself. You know, that's one thing. So if we're talking about you're at the workplace, you know, take some breaks. You know, sometimes I, I guess we, like I myself, I came from a third world country. You know, all we do is we just want to work, work, work. Take some break. Have somebody cover your patients, ensure your patients are safe, but do take some breaks. It's good for your soul and it's good for your stomach too. You need to eat, right? I love that one. Yeah. (laughs) Be yourself. You don't have to change yourself to fit in. Just be yourself. Whatever skills and knowledge and yourself, just bring it, you know. And, you know, if you have any concerns, speak up. Always speak up, you know. Your leaders won't know what your concerns are if you're not going to speak up. When I first came here, I did not know how to speak up because that's how my culture is. So I learned to speak up in the right way to do it in the workplace. 
you know, when you're in doubt, always ask questions because that will help you with uh, having confidence in what you're doing and whatever skill you have in the, you know, in your unit, whatever you're doing in the workplace. It doesn't mean that if you ask questions, you don't know anything. You know, find a body, a mentor. Find somebody who understands what you're going through. I'm sure there are a number of IENs in your organization who has been there, who have been there for quite some time. Make friends with them, connect with them, and maybe you can share your challenges and maybe they have some tips for you or advices. Try to keep your schedule as you would want it to be, to have a balance in work and life. Because, you know, I did six days in a row before. That's not a good thing, you know. You know, so you work your schedule that will be best for you. Get involved. I guess getting involved will actually expose you to, you know, having more conversations with people around you, collaborations. And that way also when you're getting involved, you feel that you belong. You feel that you have contributed something off shift, I think. When it's your off work, don't think about work, have fun, sleep, (laughs) take some rest, you know, go outside, visit family and friends, you know, have a social life, learn a new skill, check out your community. As for me, you know, I feel relaxed when I read articles and research. So do whatever you want that, you know, that will give you that relaxation and joy. Or if you just want to stay in the couch and just sit, what we call, I guess, staycation, then just do it. I guess those are the only ones that I, I guess, that I want to share. Meredith, I want to ask you one thing. You mentioned um, how difficult it is sometimes to speak up, um, especially in the professional environment, when culturally that's not the way you've been brought up as a person and educated as a nurse. How in the world did you ever get past that? So I actually would want to share an experience where I had to speak up. And it's the first time that I had to speak up. Um, I had a patient where I, it's all about uh, patient safety uh, issues. And so I had to actually talk to the physician and let him know. And at the end of the day, actually, we're just all here. Our, our purpose here is actually, you know, for our patients. So at the end of the day, I could sleep well because I was able to actually speak up and tell the physician. So another thing I want to say about ah, speaking up, sometimes you have to actually, what I do is sometimes I would just have to wait for the right timing for me to speak up. Sometimes there's not the right timing, but however, in my own experience in in, in everything I do, if it, it really pertains to patient safety, I always have to advocate for my patient. I always speak up, no matter what, as long as I talk in the safest professional language that I can. And as long as I've already passed it on to somebody who can take care of that concern. Um, There are times that, you know, you have to pause and think, what is the impact of speaking up? 
you know, it's not just speaking up because you want to speak up or speak up your concerns, but what is its impact? Think about its impact on you, on others, before you actually speak up. That's one tip that I want to share too. And lastly, just remember, speaking up is a voice. I guess you just want to share your thoughts, ideas, experiences. Maybe you did something in your previous organization or you're in your country that could help improve and make things better in your unit. There are a lot of reasons why you're speaking up. And that's why my advice is just think about what is your purpose of speaking up. You know, what's interesting is I'm listening to you, still learning from you. Speaking up is is also difficult no matter where one is educated, especially as a new nurse, even if you're educated in this country and so forth. So this is really an issue that is for all of us. I think it's probably compounded for those who are educated internationally and culturally are sort of ingrained to not speak up, but it really is an issue for everyone, particularly early in our, our nursing careers. So this is great advice. Remember, at least in the clinical environment, remember your purpose. Consider timing. Think of the impact on yourself and others. And yet don't shy away from using your voice. You have something to share and experiences to share. And all of it, of course, is based in courage, which you demonstrate so beautifully. You have summarized it so well, Connie. (laughs) Thank you so much. A lot of times when we're wrapping up podcasts, as we are now, we talk about hope, what gives us hope. And what I want to say today, I want to switch it up a little bit. I want to say that talking to you, Meredith, is giving me hope. And I hope people who are listening gives me hope because I have learned so much in this very brief conversation from you about this. I bet you I've worked with hundreds, if not thousands of internationally educated nurses and have never thought about this this deeply from their perspective. So first, I want to thank you for um, being open and willing to go deep and have this conversation. I learned that this is a change in one's identity to come from a country and come here. And there's all kinds of courage that's associated with that. We need to keep that front of mind. That many places, English is, when we come here, English is a second language. And uh, that also takes courage in terms of listening and speaking to others. The cultural thing, I never even thought about, we're not even talking about the culture of working with other colleagues. We're talking about the cultural changes in dealing with patients of many new and different types. I love your advice about leaders taking a holistic approach to nurses, both internationally educated and non. Let's just look holistically at the whole nurse and get to know each other and work together. Recognition, pursuing dreams, all of those things. Ultimately, in a lot of ways, we're more alike than different, but we have to look for the differences and learn from each other. I think you gave a beautiful synopsis on how folks can take care of themselves, which is find what it is for you and be sure you carve that out and nerd out and read research like you do or sit on the couch and watch a a series of funny comedies on TV and everything in between. So Dr. Meredith Padilla, I can't thank you enough for spending time. Uh, Is there any other thing you'd like to add uh, other than... um, I just really want to say thank you for sharing about yourself and your life and your journey. 
Thank you so much, Connie. And if I may, I would want to thank a number of people who were part of my journey. My family, my extended family, siblings, and especially my late parents, my mentors, Darlene, Lexa, Theresa, and Carol, my IEN friend, Belinda, and a friend, Mercy, and all the nurses and nurse leaders, and most especially the patients that I have worked with who touched my life and who I have touched theirs. And thank you as well to all the listeners of this podcast. Beautiful. It's been a joy, Meredith. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the American Association of Critical Care Nurses Leadership Podcast, proudly sponsored by AACN's Value Program, with information available at aacn.org forward slash value. We welcome your thoughts on this episode or ideas for future topics. Feel free to email us anytime at podcasts at aacn.org.